Bibles, grab your Bibles and turn with me to Acts, Acts chapter number 2. We're going to continue what we started last week. We're going to try to put a little meat on the skeleton, a little meat on the skeleton. Boy, it's a good crowd. Y'all didn't like getting up early this morning, did you? Amen. Uh, I'll be honest with you, I like that fall back a lot more than I like that spring forward. Amen. Amen. How many of you, how many of you can keep a secret? Well, I'm glad y'all are honest anyway. Amen. Uh, here, here's how many of y'all have talked to Jesus lately? Come on, come on. All right. Uh, how many of y'all will agree with the pastor and pray for something that he really wants to see happen? All right. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. There is a possibility. There is a good chance, a possibility that we could get in the building early. Amen. Wouldn't that be cool? I, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, I am jacked up about that. And here's, here's what we're going to try to do. Uh, Lord's willing, if everything works out and, 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 and they're trying to feverishly work this stuff out, Lord's willing, we're going to be able to get in it a week ahead of time, a week before Easter, and we're going to try to have one service, one service. Instead of it, three services, we're going to go to two services after we get in the building, but, but we're going to try to have one service where we have everybody in there at the same time, and, uh, and, and that's going to be cool. Say amen right there. So, so how many of y'all will help your pastor pray that that will become a reality, all right? All right, so be praying about that. And, and also, don't forget, we've got some T-shirts that, that we're wearing. These are, this is our promotional T-shirts getting ready for Easter Sunday. And, uh, and, and listen, these T-shirts are $5. That is very, very cheap. Uh, it, it, we, just, we did it so we could get as many of them out as possible because we want to get the word out about Temple. One thing that we have found out that when you wear these things around town, people will ask you questions about it. You will become a walking billboard. Say amen. So please grab your T-shirts. They've got them in, in, the, in, the, uh, in the building. Amen. Somewhere in there. Uh, ask somebody. They'll point them out. Amen. And, and, and grab that T-shirt. Let's wear them everywhere. I'm going to wear mine everywhere every day. Amen. I'm going to have to wash it every night. It, it, it'll be a rag by the time we get through. I may have to get two or three. But, but let's get the word out. Pick up your invites. And how many of y'all know somebody's not saved? Raise your hand real high. You know somebody's not saved. Do you realize there's only two destinations after, after life on this earth? That's heaven and hell. And there's only two types of people, saved and lost. Saved go to heaven, lost go to hell. And we don't want that to happen, amen? So let's get the unchurched, let's get those that are not saved and get them into the house of the Lord so they can hear about Jesus, all right? All right, Acts chapter number 2, Acts chapter number 2 and verse number 41. If you're there, uh, in verse 41, uh, last week we learned that, that Peter's preaching on the day of Pentecost. He's preaching salvation, uh, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And they asked the question, what do we do? What must we do? In other words, what does God want out of us? And we said there was basically three things that we hear about and we read in just a second. Three things, salvation, baptism, and church membership. God wants us to be saved. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He wants us to be saved. He said today is the day of salvation, so he wants us to be saved. He's commanded us to be baptized. He wants us to be baptized and identify ourselves with him. And then he wants us to be connected to a local church, a Bible-teaching, Bible-preaching, Bible-practicing local church to follow him in direction. If that makes sense, say amen. amen. So let's look at this again in, uh, in verse 41. Then they that gladly received his word, that's salvation. They received the word, they believed in Christ. Then they that gladly received his word, they were saved, then were baptized. After they were saved, they were baptized. 
and the same day there were, what's that word? Added. That's membership. That's being connected to the local body. There's that 120 believers in the upper room. So they were saved, they were baptized, and they were added to the local church about 3,000 souls. Now that's what I call a sermon. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for all that you do. God, I pray as we talk about salvation again, Lord, as we talk about baptism again, as we talk about membership and the importance of it again, I pray as we go into detail about these issues that you will touch our hearts, you will encourage us, Lord, that you will meet the need today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. We, we live in a day where it means almost nothing to be a Christian. According to research, almost four out of every five Americans identify themselves as Christians. Four out of five. But in this group of self-proclaimed Christians, less of... Less than half of them are involved in church on a weekly basis. Less than half of them actually believe the Bible is true. The overwhelming majority of them don't have a biblical view of the world around them. So researchers went even deeper then to distinguish men and women who are born-again Christians as if there's any other kind of Christian. But these are people who say they've made a personal commitment to Jesus they believe they'll go to heaven because they've accepted Jesus as their Savior. And according to research, almost half of Americans, so half of Americans are born-again Christians. But you look at this group of born-again Christians, and researchers found that their beliefs and lifestyles are virtually indistinguishable from the world around them. Many born-again Christians believe that their works can earn them a place in heaven. Others think that Christians and Muslims worship the same God. Some believe that Jesus sinned while he was on earth. And an ever-increasing number of born-again Christians just describe themselves as marginally committed to Jesus. So people have used data like this to conclude that Christians are really not that different from the rest of the world. But I don't, I don't think that interpretation of that research is accurate. I think the one thing that's abundantly clear from those statistics is that there are a whole lot of people in our country who think that they are Christians, but they are not. There are scores of people here and around the world who culturally identify themselves as Christians and biblically are not followers of Christ. You can, you can go to about any door, probably in Coleman, knock on the door and say, do a survey and say, are you a Christian? And most people will answer, yes, I'm a Christian because they have this idea that I'm an American, so that makes me a Christian. Uh, I am in the Bible Belt, so that makes me a Christian. Uh, I, I believe that there's a God, so that makes me a Christian. And, and do you realize that, that, that Dr. Billy Graham said he believed one of the greatest mission fields is the local church? There are so many people sitting in pews all over America in churches today who are like uh, Brother David Platt was saying. Uh, they claim Christianity. They claim to be born again, but they are not following Christ. And there are so many people that, that are deceived in the fact of what salvation really is. And I know what you're thinking. When you're reading that and listening to that, so, oh, he's, he's just, he, you're just going to extremes with this. Well, what, let's, see what, let's see what God has to say about it. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, he says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. 
but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many, he said, will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? In thy name have we not cast out devils? And in thy name done many wonderful works. In other words, they're going to say, we were very religious. We were very religious. We went to church. We attended church. But watch what he says. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Matthew seven thirteen. Enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way that leadeth unto life. And few there be that find it. Second Peter 1.10 teaches us. He says, Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence. In other words, be very careful. Do everything you can. Use every effort you can. Use every means that you can. He says, be diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. Anytime you preach a message like this and you teach a, a scripture of this sort, you always run the risk of causing someone, you say, I, I, don't wanna, I don't want someone to doubt their salvation. Preacher, you're just trying to make me doubt my salvation. I don't want you to doubt anything. I, matter of fact, I want to go beyond that, and I want you to make sure of who you are. Make sure that you're saved. You, re you realize we don't have a hope so salvation. We don't have a maybe salvation. We don't have a I think so salvation. We have a no so salvation. These things are written that ye may know that you have eternal life. Somebody say amen. I want you to know. I don't want you to doubt. I don't want you to wonder. I don't want you to worry. I want you to be assured of who you are. And the Bible says that we can be assured that we belong to him. Amen. Well, I want, to, I want to give you, by way of salvation, we're going to talk about all three, and I'm going to, I'm going to apologize ahead of time. Uh, I'm going to try to cram a lot of information in, and that is probably a lot more than I should do on a Sunday morning, uh, but I'm on the clock, so you'll get out at the same time, okay? So don't worry about the time. I'm just going to give you a ton of information, so you'll have to process it, and, and maybe you might need to get the tape and listen to it later on. But anyway, here's the deal. Here's the deal. He says in salvation, there are some evidence. There is some evidence that we could look at. He, he uses the terminology this. You'll know a tree by the fruit that they produce. Y'all with me? You know it's an orange grove when you see oranges hanging on the tree. You know you're in an apple orchard when you go in there and there's apples hanging on the tree. If somebody tries to tell you you're in an orange grove and there's apples, you need to tell them, you got problems, bud. And that's no different than people going around saying, I'm saved, and their fruit is saying something else. Y'all with me? How can we know? How can we? What, what's some things that we'll see in somebody's life when we're saved? Well, I think the best thing we can do is not listen to someone's opinion about it. Y'all with me? Because if you turn on the TV, you'll find tons and tons of people with opinions about salvation. You'll have people telling you this, and you'll have people tell you that. I think the best thing we can do is go to the Word and say, what does God say about it? How many of y'all would agree with me right there? All right, now let's see. What does God say will be in a person's life if they are saved? First thing I want you to do, let's read 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 17. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. He says, therefore, if any man, how many of them? 
that means you can't say that you were saved, but your experience is different. You can't say, well, I got saved, but God's not really doing with me what he's doing with you. You can't say that. Because he said, if any man, if you are in Christ, this pertains to you. If you claim to be saved, this pertains to you. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new, what? Creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So write this down. If a man is saved, if a man is saved, we can confidently say, according to the word of God, that he is changed and is changing. He is changed and he is changing. Where do we get that? The first word, change, we get that from, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. You could take the word creature and put the word creation. In other words, when he is born again, God does a work in his life. He is changed. He may not be perfect. He may not have it all together. He may not have everything exactly the way it needs to be. But I promise you this, when he gets down on his knees and trusts Christ as his Savior, he will be different when he gets back up. You cannot have a God as big as God is. You cannot have a power as powerful as God's power is. You cannot have a spirit like the Holy Spirit come in your heart, come in your life, and you not be different. He is a new creation. Your thinking will be different. Your speech will be different. Your activity will be different. Your behavior will be different. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Now, for me, I appreciate the second part more than I appreciate the first part. Because I don't know about y'all, but I like that, that, that kid's song, He's Still Working On Me. I know I'm not what I ought to be. I know it. Y'all think I am, but I ain't. Y'all put stuff on Facebook all the time, but I, I know me. And y'all don't know me like I know me. And I know I'm not what I ought to be, but thank God I ain't what I used to be. And even more important, I ain't what I'm going to be. That's not good English, but you get the point. Y'all with me? Watch what it says. He says, not only is he a new creature, he is changed. He's different. There's something, he's different. But it says all things, this is the key, all things are become, become new. What does that mean? He is constantly changing. God is constantly working on him. What does that mean? As a baby Christian, you're going to do stupid things sometimes. You, you just are. Baby Christians mess up. Ba baby Christians make mistakes. As far as that goes, older Christians make mistakes. But God is constantly working on you. God is constantly forming on you. God is constantly honing on you and cutting on you and adding on you, forming you into the image of his son. Are y'all with me? If nothing changed, you might want to check up. You really do. I'm telling you, you might want to check up. If, if, you are not, if you are not becoming more and more like Christ, then you, you might want to check up. Because according to the Bible, not my opinion, not my theory, if any man be in Christ, any of them, any person claiming Christ, he's a new creature. And all things are become new. He is changed and changing. Number two, or B, write this down. If any man is saved, he's changed and changing. Not only that, but I want you to look at the next verse, Hebrews. 
Hebrews 12. This is a biggie right here. This is a biggie. Hebrews 12, 6. <clears throat> For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he received. Now, what is that? What is chastening and scourging? How many of y'all were born when parents still whoop people? Yeah, that means y'all was born before time out and all that. Amen. How many of y'all know what this sound is? Y'all, how many of y'all know what that is? That's that belt coming out, them belt loose, fixing to wrap around your posterior. Say amen. How many of y'all received the board of education to the seat of knowledge and received a degree? Amen. A whipping. And then my dad would always tell me, son, I'm doing this because I love you. At that point, I thought, you liar. You can't even love me and do what I know you're fixing to do to me. There ain't no way. You can. But then I had kids, and I understand. Amen? And God's saying, if, listen, if you belong to me, I love you, and I care about you, and I care too much for you to let you stay in sin and allow you to stay in that condition and keep doing the things you're doing. And if you belong to me, look what it says. Look what it says. He says, whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. For if ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. And in other words, you're a family member. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But, but, if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Now, now listen, don't, don't get wigged out over that. That's not a cuss word. We made that a cuss word. That word means illegitimate. It means illegitimate. And you know what he's saying? He's saying this. If you can go out and raise Cain, if you can go out and act ignorant and be unbiblical, you can go out, drink it up, hit the clubs, uh, uh, commit fornication, commit adultery, run around, shack up, live, do all these things, and God not deal with you, you're illegitimate. You cannot claim to be saved. You cannot, you cannot claim to be a member of the body of Christ and the Holy Spirit not convict you. Let me explain it this way. Let me explain it this way. The Holy Spirit will not only convict you before you do it. Are y'all with me? He will correct you after you do it. You see, a person is truly saved. He's not only, he's not only uh, 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 changed and is changing but he is corrected and convicted. Let me explain it this way. You say, preacher, what does that conviction mean? That means, you remember those times right before you'd done something ignorant and the Holy Spirit said, what are you doing? The Holy Spirit said, I know you ain't fixing to say that. Y'all with me? And how many of y'all, with your preacher, I'm going to admit to this, how many of y'all went ahead and said it anyway? And then the Holy Spirit really got on you. I, 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 can, I, can, I can get into a discussion with my wife. We don't argue, we discuss things. I'm not, I, 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 it's like they say, I'm not arguing with you, I'm explaining to you why I'm right. Amen, that's what, but she don't go for that, Amen. We, we can get into a serious, I mean, serious, and I, I'm, going to, I'm going to church. I mean, mad, throw gravel all over the yard, pull down the highway, on the way to church, I'm feeling it. I pull into, my, I, I pull into the parking lot, I go in and shut my door, got an attitude, 
And I open my Bible and I'm going to study. And the Holy Spirit says, really? You think I'm going to talk to you with the attitude that you got? And I got to go. Baby, I'm sorry. Am I telling the truth? I remember one time. I remember one time. Y'all don't have to tell on yourself. I tell on me all the time. Uh, I remember one time I had an old blue tick named Jim. Smoky River Diamond Jim. Say amen. Big old hound. Do you think had big old long ears? Just a big old. What you would think a hound dog was supposed to look like. And he sounded like a hound. He was loud. I mean, he just, I'm talking about, he would rattle the timber. You with me? He would, he would, it's amazing. He'd bark one time, leaves fall out of trees right there. I mean, it's just loud dog, unbelievable. And, and, and he was on this side of the house, and I had a neighbor. There was a little holler right there beside my house and then the neighbor's house, and Jim was in between my house and, and, and the neighbor's house. And, and uh, what I didn't know is there was a possum kept coming in the yard and getting the, where I had the dog food at, kept getting dog food out of there, and that drove Jim crazy. And every, every night, oh, oh, I mean, just raising cane. Well, I had done got, I guess, accustomed to it, and it didn't bother me, you know. I mean, and, and one morning, one morning, uh, 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 about 5.30 in the morning, I heard this right here. And, and, you know, as a preacher, if somebody's doing that at 5.30 in the morning, something's bad going on. I didn't know somebody had a heart attack, somebody got in a wreck, something bad happened. And so I, I'm trying, I'm, I'm, and I'm not no morning person. Let me tell you, it's hard for me to function today. Say amen. It's get, I'm not a morning person. So I'm getting, I, I'm trying to get my clothes on, and I, I finally, I stagger to the door, and I get there to find out what in the world. I snatch the door open, and there's my neighbor. 70 years old, something, and, 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 and man, he's growling, got fire coming out of his eyes, and now you need to do something with that dog and blah 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 blah. And then he said this, and he said, if you can't do something, I can. Oh. Why'd he say that? Son, I come out that door. And I'm backing him up all the way down them steps, and I'm going through the yard with him, and I'm and I, and I, and I said things that was unchristian. And I said, don't you ever, if you touch my, hey, you, you, you can mess with my kids. <laughs> you can mess with my truck. <laughs> but you ever touch my dog, we're going to have a party. Say amen. Man, I was mad. Have you ever been that way? I mean, I was mad, just fuming. And here he goes out the yard, and I felt pretty good about it. And, uh, and I go in there, and I lay down. And somebody got in bed with me. And this is what I heard. That was a fine display, preacher. I mean, the Holy Spirit, it was so loud in my head. I, it wasn't audible. I'm not spooky, y'all. But I could, I, boy, he was talking to me. I tell you what, that was a fine Christian display I just saw, preacher. I laid there and laid there. Man, I talk, I tried to go back to sleep. I tried. Lord, didn't you hear what he said about Jim? Didn't you hear what he... he <laughs> oh, how many of y'all hate to apologize? Good. I don't feel better about myself. Amen. I go to get... And, and see, my wife done heard everything. 
and my wife, she's a dog lover too, and uh, she don't really like my hounds, but she likes dogs. And and, uh, and 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 I went to get up and I was putting my clothes on. She said, "What are you doing?" She said, "I, I said I'm going to apologize." And she said, "No, you ain't." <laughs> See, she ain't near as spiritual as I am. Amen. She, she she barely a Christian. Amen. Yeah, she's not here. I can say what I want. Amen. I didn't want, man, I got up, and I went out, doggone, and I'm just, I'm walking down my driveway, and I go down the road, and I'm all the way down, and then I start down his driveway. He, he done started mowing grass that early in the morning. I guess he got all shook up about it, and he didn't see me coming, and uh, and, and, and he was like going this way with the lawnmower, and I was right behind him. I didn't think nothing of it, I, and as soon as he turned that lawnmower, there I was. He almost wrecked a John Deere right there in front of him. He thought, he thought I was back for round two, Amen. He looked, and I said, hey, 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 hey. I said, I am so sorry. I said, I am so sorry. I, 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 I shouldn't have reacted that way. I shouldn't have said those things. I apologize. I'll, I'll, I'll keep him shut up, and I'll put a whatever. I, I, I'll take, you know. He said, why'd you do all that? Because God wouldn't leave me alone. You see, you cannot be saved and do stupid things and God not deal with you. You see, if you can and God not mess with you, you're illegitimate. You're illegitimate. Is there any is there any exception, preacher? None. Zero. You know why? Because God loves you. And God won't let you stay in sin. God won't let you stay in that condition. Because as long as you're in that condition, you're out of fellowship with Him. If you're staying in a place you know that God's against, you know the Bible teaches it, you're out of fellowship with Him. And God loves you too much for you to stay out of fellowship with Him. So He comes and corrects you, not to make you mad, not because He's angry at you, not to discipline you, but to restore you. Does that make sense? Say amen. So give me number one. If a man's saved, he'll be changed and changing. Say that with me. He'll be... Number two, he'll not only be changed and changing, he'll be corrected and convicted. Say that with me. He'll be... Then, then see, write this down. He will be compassionate and caring. Watch this here. This is, this is probably more important than the rest of them. John 13, 34. A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. Now watch. Now watch. By. Say it with me. By. Not your church going. Not, not how much you give in the offering. Not how much you preach. Not how much you teach. Not how much you stand for righteousness. That's not how people will know your disciple. Watch what he says. He says, in this, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples if ye have one, two. Preacher, what are you saying? I'm saying this. There's something about salvation. It'll make you care about people you didn't care about before. When my dad was growing up, it was in a very racially tense time in society. It was a time of difficulty. He, you know, as they were taught to hate people. And hate is taught, by the way. And there was something about it. He would fight. He would scrap. It didn't matter. If you wanted to fight, he would oblige you. And he, he, just, he was just an angry type person all the time. It didn't matter who you were. Didn't matter what color you was. Didn't matter what side the tracks. Doesn't matter how much money you had. He was ready to fight at any time. And then he got saved. And when he got saved, 
everything changed. He started loving people he didn't love before. He started caring about things he didn't care about before. He started being compassionate where he wasn't compassionate before. Are y'all with me? Started having tears in his eyes. Thought something was wrong. Because, because now he gets emotional over certain things. Don't tell me there's no God. Don't tell me this thing ain't real. Listen, ain't a drug, there ain't a drug available that can turn somebody into what God did. Listen, if you're saved, you'll be changed and changing. You'll be corrected and convicted. You, you'll, be, you'll be compassionate and caring. You'll have a love you didn't have before. You can't explain it. You can't describe it. You see, because God comes into your heart and he brings his love with him. Beloved, what, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. What does it say this? I like this one. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Church, say amen. So, there's some folks in here right now. God is dealing with your heart about salvation. We're going to have an invitation here in just a minute, and I want you to trust Christ and be saved. There's no reason, there's no reason to walk out of this tent and not know Jesus as your personal Savior. No reason whatsoever. Now, there's some of you who are saved, but you've never been baptized. Let me tell you what baptism means, and we'll, we'll, we'll dismiss. Baptism literally means, I want to give you two things, the meaning of baptism and the mode of baptism. The meaning of baptism. What does baptism mean? Why, why even do it? What's the purpose of it? Why does God want us to participate in that? First, baptism identifies. Say that word with me. Baptism identifies. You see, when Jesus, God, came to earth and was baptized, it was God identifying with man. Now, when we are baptized after we're saved, it is man identifying with God. Does that make sense? You are saying on the outside what's happened on the inside. You are identifying yourself with this body of believers. You're identifying yourself with God, all right? So, baptism identifies. Then B, or two, or whatever, how are you writing your notes? Uh, baptism not only identifies, but baptism symbolizes. It's a symbol. It's an outward picture, if you will, of what? The death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Let me give you a verse. Let me give you a verse. <clears throat> the Bible says in Romans chapter number 6, verse number 3, Know ye not that so many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, here it is, our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. What does that mean? When you walk down in the water, that's a type a picture of the death of the old person who you used to be y'all with me when, when when you go under the water we are burying the old man we are burying your old life we are burying what you used to be amen and when you come up out of that water it represents a brand new person a brand new life to walk in the newness of life are y'all with me now let me say this and get this good get this good 
There is no redeeming qualities in water. Water does not wash away sins. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Listen, if I thought water could save people, I'd have a fire hose at that door, and everyone that come through it, you had it. Because you'd get washed every service. Amen. That's not, that's not it. It's not baptism. It's the blood of Christ. Baptism is after. You are, you are telling this crowd, you are telling Jesus, I'm committed, I'm identifying myself with you. Is it important? It's critically important. Why? Because he said to do it. That's enough. That's enough. The mode of baptism. How do we baptize? You know, different denominations do different things. We believe that the scriptural way to baptize is by immersion. That means you go in the water and you go all the way under. That's what it means. The word baptize, the word baptize is, is the Greek word baptizo, which means to immerse, to submerge, to make overwhelmed, fully wet. Colossians 2.12 says buried with him in baptism. Uh, Romans 6.4, uh, buried with him by baptism into death. Uh, Romans 6.5, for if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death. You see, it's a type of the burial. When you have a funeral, you have the, the hole is dug, the casket is laid in, and they are buried. They are buried. And that's what it's representing. That's why we don't sprinkle. I don't believe sprinkling is scriptural. I don't think it's anywhere in the Bible. I think if it's practice, it's, it's wrong. We believe in baptism by immersion. Well, preacher, I was sprinkled when I was a kid. If you've trusted Christ, you need to be scripturally baptized by immersion. According to the Bible... Not my opinion, not my theory, not what I think. It's what God's Word says. Are y'all with me? Say amen. amen. Baptism. Lastly, membership. Why is membership so important? Let me give you three quick things and we'll pray. Why is membership so important? Why is it necessary? Why is it mandatory? Why does God expect it and command it? Well, three things. Number one, I want you to see the distinction of membership. The distinction of membership. The church is a family. Say that with me. The church is a, it's a family. The Bible says in, in, in Ephesians 2.19, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints, and of the, what's that word? Of the, everybody say it, come on. Of the household of God. That is the, the Greek word akoyos, which means a relative. Do you realize that when you got saved, you gained a bunch of relatives? And, and it's kind of like your, your blood relatives. You can't pick them. The moment you got saved, you gained a bunch of relatives. You see, that's why we say brother and sister. When I was a little kid, I didn't really understand this. I just, you know, I grew up in church, so I heard everybody say brother so-and-so, brother Samuel, or sister Mary, or, or, or brother Joe, and sister Sue. And, and, and so I, when I was a kid, I just called everybody that. Went to the store. It didn't matter whether they was in church or not. Uh, I, and I remember my dad, I, I, I mean, I remember this. I remember I seen the, the name tag, and I called the person sister so-and-so. We was at a store or something, and dad says, don't do that. And I thought to myself, will you do it? But I didn't understand. So when we got to the car, he explained to me. He said, son, the reason that we use the word brother and sister is when we're talking to saved people because they are our family. 
when a, when a brother's saved, how many of y'all have heard me when we baptized? I said, it is my privilege, and it is. It's an honor to be able to baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, or my sister, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're, we're family. We're family. So he says, you don't call brother or sister to somebody that's not family, somebody that's not saved. So that made sense. And then I got it. I understood it then. And if you hear people say that around here, that's why. And I think you need to. I think you need to. I, it just it, it teaches us something. It keeps in our mind that we are family. This is not a corporation. Even though I think we need to be organized, this is an organism. Are y'all with me? It's a family. And the family represents relationships. And then number two, the, the, the church is not only a family, it's a body. I'm not going to read it, but go home and read uh, uh, Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul begins to describe the church as, as different parts of the body. We have eyes, we have ears, we have nose, we have a mouth, we have fingers. We have different members of one body, and they're all important. If you don't think even the small parts of your body are important, try doing without it sometime. Y'all with me? Everything's important. Now, now, family represents relationships. That's the relationship we have with one another. But as a body, as we learn that the, the church is a body, that represents responsibility. Say that with me. In other words, we all are a different member, and we all have a responsibility in the body of Christ. Are y'all with me? Say amen. All right, secondly, secondly, that's the distinction of membership. Then I want you to see the design of membership. I'm, and I'm going to hurry. I'm hurrying, I'm hurrying, I'm hurrying. I told you, I apologize ahead of time, so this, we're, we're good. Say amen. The design of membership. How did God design the church? He designed it for two things. Number one, to provide opportunity. God wanted to give you an opportunity to use your gift. Where do I use my gift? Where does Brother Dustin use his gift? Brother Doyle use his gift? All the musicians and the, and the singers and all. We're, we have a place and an opportunity to use the giftings that God has given us. That is why you need to be a part and a member of a local church. So you can use the gift God gave you. Not only that, not only did he uh, provide opportunity, but to promote organization. Say that with me. Promote organization for what? An organized effort to take the gospel to the unchurched. That is why you can't stay home and be right with God. Well, I can just I can be a good Christian, stay home and, and be with God on my own. No, you can't. No, you can't. God expects you to be a part of an organized effort to take the gospel to the far corners of the world, to every creature. Are y'all with me? Say amen. All right, lastly, lastly, I'm going to say it fast, write it fast, and we're going to pray. We're going to pray. Four things. We talk about the, the distinction of membership, the design of membership. Now I want you to see the delight of membership. What do we get out of it? We live in a society, we live in a culture that says, what's in it for me? What do I get out of it? I mean, we do. We have Burger King attitudes. I want it our way. Y'all with me? But do you realize the church don't operate that way? But we, we, got, in the, we got into a discussion in, in, in a staff meeting talking about membership and how we, could, how we could present it to the church and help the church understand how important it is. And, and there was a discussion, and, and, and you would think it was an argument, uh, uh, but if you come to staff meetings, you'd think we hated each other because we go after it, I'm telling you. You, you think we're having a knockdown drag out because I want people there that's going to tell me what they really think. I don't have no yes men around me. 
None. Zero. I don't want no yes men. If they just say yes to everything, I'm not getting the best out of them. I'm not getting what they really think. So they have the privilege to be able to say whatever they feel, whatever they think about the matter we're discussing, and we, we come together and we hash it out, we fight it out, argue it out, and we come to the conclusion that God brings us to. And we were going back and forth over this, and, 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 and there's, two kind of, there's two kind of sides to this. On one, here, here's the thing. Uh, we need to be a member and connected to a local church because the Bible says so. Period. End of story. God said it. It's not like the bumper sticker says, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. No, it don't. Whether you believe it or not, if God said it, that settles it. Whether you like it or not, whether you believe it or not, whether you can, you know, it doesn't matter. If God said it, that's enough. I shouldn't have to say nothing else. I shouldn't have to convince anybody God said it. But, thank God, he did give us some benefits. Are y'all with me? So on the other side, we're saying we need to present everybody what we get out of church. So I want you to take both of them. I want you to make all my staff happy. I want you to join because God said to. Period. But then on the other hand, I want you to see what you're going to get out of it. Four things, real quick. Write these things down, real quick. What do I get out of being a member of the local church? First, I get friends through fellowship. Do you, do you really, have you ever thought about this? And it, it may be different with you, but I, I, I thought about my very best friends there in this place. The very, very best friends I have on this planet are, have come through the local church, have come through my association with God in the church, friends through fellowship. Then, then number two, or B, however you're writing it, I find direction through doctrine. Direction found in doctrine. What does that mean? You need to be under the teaching of the Bible. Every single child of God should submit themselves and put themselves under the teaching and the preaching and, and the, listen, the proclaiming of God's Word. Sound doctrine. Why? Why do we need sound doctrine? For direction. Why do we need sound doctrine? So we'll know what to believe. Why do we need sound doctrine? So we'll know what to stand on. Listen, I want a place, even after I'm dead and gone, where my children and my grandchildren can come and they can learn what does God say. Doesn't matter what culture's doing. Doesn't matter what the world's doing. It doesn't matter what the popular crowd is doing. What does God's Word say? Because truth never changes. And he said his word would be a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. And you need to be somewhere that's teaching the Bible. If you're in a place that's not teaching the Bible, you're in the wrong place. If you're in a place that's giving their opinions and giving their theories, you're in the wrong place. We need doctrine for direction. Say amen. Listen, we get friends, friendship from fellowship. Then we get uh, direction found in doctrine. Then I want you to see this. There is power found in prayer. Oh, there's times that I've had to call on my brothers and sisters in Christ and say, pray for me. There is power found in corporate prayer. When we are praying one for another, if you go through the book of Acts, you'll find time and time and time again that they would gather together and they'd call out to God and take their prayer requests and their needs to God and God would intervene in a supernatural way. Man, you need to be in a place that will pray for you. Power in prayer. Then lastly, and this is probably the most important, and this is the most despised. This is probably the most important reason, but the most despised. We need accountability found in authority. 
We need accountability found in authority. Let me read the verse. Hebrews 13, 7. Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. Verse 17, watch this. We won't like this word. Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves. Why? Why does he say? What reason? For they watch for your souls. As they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. What does that mean? It means this, that God expects all his sheep under a shepherd. Now, the sheep don't really like the shepherd telling them where to go and what to do all the time. The sheep don't like the shepherd bossing them around and telling them to come out this valley and let's go up this hill. And do hey, they don't like that, but they sure like it when he fights the wolf off of them. And you see, we all need accountability. We all need somebody to challenge us. You know why, you know why, you know why people in the last days will heap upon themselves teachers having itching ears and not preachers? Because a teacher will say, this is the information. A preacher will say, this is the information. Now, bless God, what are you going to do about it? A preacher will get in your face. A preacher will challenge you. A preacher will charge you. Paul told Timothy, I charge thee before God and these witnesses. I tell you what, I don't know about you, but I need to be accountable. I need somebody in my corner that will look after me and watch over me and listen, call me out when I get ignorant on God. But nobody wants accountability. Nobody wants expectations out of them. Well, guess what? That's the whole purpose of the church. The church needs protection. The church needs somebody to watch over them and guide and direct. Preacher, what are you saying? Salvation's critical. Baptism is important. And church membership is commanded by God. What's the point? If you're not saved, please get saved today. I'm going to pray with you. And I'm going to ask you to trust Christ today. If you've never been baptized, let's quit putting it off. We're going to baptize every, every Sunday this month. So if you didn't come prepared today, come prepared next week. Listen, if you've never joined up and committed to a local church, now's the time. Let's quit procrastinating. Let's quit putting it off. Today is the day. And all God's people said, every head bowed and every eye closed. Father, thank you, Lord, for your blessing. Let's be as still as we possibly can. Father, I want to pray for those who do, do not know you. I want to pray for those who need to trust you as their Savior right now. Father, I pray specifically for those who've never trusted you, never been saved. God, when I was preaching about salvation and knowing for sure, Lord, you were dealing with their heart and their spirit. I pray that they would pray today, right now, and ask you to forgive them and save them. If you're here today right now, as every head's about, if God's dealing with